for club and you ain't in it full of psychopaths who believe in eugenics it's an evil club and you ain't in it full of psychopaths who believe in eugenics it's an evil club and you ain't in it all right welcome everybody this is the reality czar's podcast and we're your hosts tonight nate and tony hello and we got an awesome guest on tonight i've been a big fan of his forever we got keith knight and uh Buddy, uh, why don't you tell everybody about yourself? I'm sure anybody that is listening to my podcast knows who you are, but you want to get you want to give a little intro. Quick overview: I work at the Libertarian Institute. You can find me on Odyssey.com. Of course, you can find me on YouTube. For the time being, I'm walking on eggshells at two strikes over uh, there. Ooh. So, yeah, uh, I basically have a show where I have a uh, number of uh, topics I go over, either uh, propaganda analysis, uh, clips from some of my favorite uh, books and uh, – well, excerpts rather – and interviews with uh, some of my heroes. So if you want to check out the Don't Tread on Anyone podcast where I uh, pretty much uh, pimp anarcho-capitalism as hard as I can for, uh, oh, yeah. for the normies, I uh, hope people enjoy it. I dig it, man. I want to talk about some of that propaganda videos you're, do- you're doing. Um, so I was telling you before that I think the first time that I heard of you was I saw a five hour long video that you made. And I think maybe I, maybe it was from the Tom Woods interview that I got introduced to you. That might've been. So, uh, tell everybody about that. I had, <laughs> what was your goal? With that? Uh, uh, I had basically been more or less sick of uh, explaining myself again and again and again to people for, you know, some of the basics regarding concepts of self-ownership, voluntary exchange, original appropriation, why the state is a gang with a flag. So I basically said, look, I got some time saved from work. I'm taking two weeks off and I'm collecting and I'm going through all of the videos that I've liked on YouTube. That was back when there was like minimal censorship. So even as I'm going through these, a lot of these videos are deleted. This was years ago, so you can imagine how bad it is now. Long story short, I clipped my favorite portions of my favorite videos, entitled it The Ultimate Red Pill. The red pill being the concept that the right to rule, the belief in authority, is illegitimate. This is a scam that has gone on since roughly the pharaohs of Egypt uh, up until today. Whether it's, uh, you know, some people claiming to have the right to rule because they're older or wiser or because of a social contract or because of a divine right of kings. A lot of these are scams that allow some people to benefit at the expense of other people. The alternative is a free market system, which allows people to exchange based on mutual benefit and the freedom to disassociate with bad actors. So I made that video, The Ultimate Red Pill. Uh, Tom said he was pretty fond of it, and a number of uh, people that uh, made um, made appearances. So uh, yeah, I'm trying to uh, get a, a transcript of that because I know there's a lot of readers, but uh, you can find that one on uh, almost uh, any platform. That would be a cool. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Tony. Like, like, did you real? Like, what did you set out to set up? Um, do a five-hour video, or you're like, I'm gonna make a 20-minute video, and then like two weeks later, you're just <laughs> like, uh, th- this one 
was intentionally uh, close to uh, six hours. My whole goal was, well, we get, you know, what is it, hundreds of days in school every year for 12 years. I bet that in the equivalent of one day of school, I can get people to think about things more vigorously than they have in their entire 12 years of, uh, of education. I like so, it. So, so when people said, oh, God, you want me to watch this thing? It's five hours and ten minutes. I said, yeah, it's one day of school as opposed to, um, you know, five hours and ten minutes a day, five days a week, 50 weeks a year for the first, uh, you know, to, to, to the 12 years of your life where you're most impressionable. So it was intentionally uh, uh, structured in such a way to rebut the idea that, oh, well, it's so long. Well, it's like one one thousandth of what you guys ask of us. So surely if our ask is so big and five hours is so long, well, then yours is so irrational and we need to abolish the state education system immediately. I like yeah. it, man. <laughs> is So you talked about – so we're not pushing the book yet, but you, you're writing a book right now? Oh, is no. that true? Uh, that, that, that was uh, someone making a uh, transcript. Of the, uh, the the ultimate red pill. I okay, am, that would be such a cool book, though. For real, like that should be a book. The ultimate the guy, red pill. The, the guy yeah. has the, the guys emailed me. I said, please, dude. IP is illegitimate. You know that. Goodbye. Yeah. Go go do it. I'm hell sorry, yeah. I'm too stressed out to uh, do anything else. But of course, yeah. A lot of it would it would mostly be copy and pasting the transcript and then. As you're listening to it, double spacing in between what you think are sentences because it's not like there's a period at the end of all the sentences yeah. uh, on the YouTube transcript. So it takes a lot of time. Please do it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all, uh, it's me taking everyone else's information. I'm not going to IP claim you on me taking someone else's information and you taking it from me, of course. Um, so, yeah, it, it, anything that gets the message out there, I'm uh, totally – uh, supportive of it was a cool it was a cool video man it's been fucking years now i think since i've seen it is it still on youtube or was that one of the strikes <laughs> no no uh that was a it, it was weird it was a copyright strike on wordpress but not on youtube so when i put the link on from youtube onto wordpress <laughs> it says cannot show copyright content and that was really odd, and I said, wow, I need to start uploading this everywhere. So I put it on Archive, I put it on DTube, I put it on you know, BitChute, Odyssey, Library, uh, Float, all of the uh, uh, all of the competitors, Minds.com. Awesome. I will definitely leave a link in the, in the show notes here for that because everyone should watch that. I like, too, that you had, like, some interesting peoples. Like, like it wasn't just, like, you know, the pe- most people you think of, um, I'm fucking spacing on homie's name, but did it start with Ben, Benjamin, what's his name? Uh, oh the bear God. guy. He go- he goes the. So, so uh, Owen Benjamin. Owen Benjamin. Is, is yeah, yeah, definitely yeah. Definitely in there. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah, remember I, that. I know that I put him in there. The, the main thing that I was trying to get across with putting so many uh, different people in there, because the, you can get the same point made. Like, I mean, pretty much any point that could be made, Tom Woods and Stefan Molyneux and Hans Hoppe have made. So I could have done it with three people. The point is to convey a social proof that, hey, it's not, you know, five of us who are just kind of interested in a thing. 
there's a ton of different people from all walks of life, all races and genders, since that's very important to a large demographic nowadays. Um, There's a lot of people from PhD to high school dropout who are really thinking that morality doesn't apply differently to priests or politicians or members of the military or anyone else. So uh, that was my intention to to bring in people like Mike Cernovich, Tim Allen, Owen Benjamin. God, I haven't gone over the list in some time, but yeah, uh, that that was uh, certainly my intention. I think that is so important because once you get the message, you can get it from anyone. And I think that like we're coming, a lot of times libertarians, anarchists are coming from this perspective of like we understand this stuff and why don't you? But I feel like when this is all new to you, you need that familiar connection, and you just need someone that just whatever something resonates with you with them, and that like it's such an overlooked aspect of this. Yeah, exactly. It's- yeah, yeah. So sometimes you need like the the logic is there. It's like it sounds good. But if it was really good, wouldn't I have heard of it by now? Wouldn't the people I hear it from seem, you know, somewhat legitimate within the structure of society? So when I had first come across the uh, concepts, I was I was really young. I was at an IHS seminar, Institute for Humane Studies, great organization, and I had spoken to uh, one of the speakers, and I said, you know, you you keep criticizing government it's like everything they do you criticize is there anything excuse me that you think the state should do that the free market should not do what what is the answer to that question and they said yeah but pretty much no i i don't believe in a state and i said oh my god well i've i I found a kook i found an extremist and i should pretty much uh, walk away from this person so I had told a uh, – we had had sort of a roundtable later that night, and I told everyone, I said, oh, my God, I spoke to a guy earlier. He was a moron. He didn't even believe in the state at all. And all the guys around the table, you know, th- these are guys drinking scotch, smoking cigars in really nice suits. And they were like, yeah, n- n- neither do we. Yeah, it t- took us a while, and we just came to that conclusion. I'm like, oh, my God, I'm surrounded by these psychos. <laughs> So I talked to Isaac Morehouse, who was actually there. I, I, I talked to him separately, and him and I have a conversation, and he just breaks it down to it's not that we don't – it's not that we hate judges. A judge is simply someone who renders a legal opinion, and people can you know choose to abide by that opinion or not based on whatever reputation they care to develop. So every criticism that you could have of this free market society where people voluntarily fund certain organizations, it applies tenfold to this group called the state where you can't opt out of funding them. And that to me was just such a slap in the face that I had the social proof of there's a very well-accomplished people plus pure logic behind this ideology that I just – I mean – I almost became uh, – I went from like conservative, minarchist, libertarian leaning to anarchist almost in that day alone. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Uh, how old were you? Gosh. IHS retreat was probably 2014. I might have been 17 at the wow. time. Wow. I'm, I'm 25 now. God, you're young and 
Well, I mean, I'm not that much older than you, but goddamn, man, to be to be a fucking libertarian at 25, at 17, <laughs> Jesus, I was. <laughs> I was definitely an SJW at that point. I was some fucking flavor of socialist douchebag. <laughs> yeah, my, my whole thing was originally a progressive. My my grandparents were very influential uh, to, to to me. It was so cool. We're finally getting Barack Obama. This terrible country of America. <laughs> it, we're, we're, this horrible place was finally progressing and electing an African-American president, and I was so behind that. I was was so proud. Um, Of course, at the time, I thought more or less America invented slavery and imperialism, that all of those things started in 1776, uh, of course, was my mindset. So so the fact that we, of all people, would elect Barack Obama such a, you know, it's such a pillar uh, to uh, humanity of uh, of how far we've come. And then Glenn Beck, I, I came across him because I was told that he was just evil and racist and hated people for no reason. And he said, you know, this Affordable Care Act, I think it's going to raise prices. But either way, it forces you to buy something that you might not want to purchase. I think people should be free to purchase things whether they – you know whether it's in their interest, quote, or not in their interest. So I don't support the Affordable Care Act, and that to me was a real line in the sand. I said, "Wow, that now of course healthcare premiums have gone up because Obamacare has limited the supply of healthcare providers. You lower the supply, you increase the cost. That's obvious. It's evil. He belongs in prison. Whatever. The point is, is that the scam was right in front of us, and we didn't see it happening at the time." So when Glenn Beck showed that to me, I said, well, that's really interesting. You shouldn't be able – you shouldn't be forced to purchase something against our will. Well, doesn't that apply to Medicare and Medicaid and Social Security? And shouldn't you be able to opt out of – you know, eventually I, – I, I was just primed to meet the Isaac Morehouses of the world uh, for them to tell me, no, there's, uh, th- there's really nothing that uh, the state can do, that uh, the, the market uh, c- can't do better. But, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm certainly grateful for my uh, grandparents for introducing me to uh, th- these ideas initially. As far as being an SJW, it, looking back, it's a little sad that my division point was rich versus poor or black versus white or American versus European or, you know, w- w- whatever – uh, the, the bourgeoisie versus the proletariat, because you see such a principled uh, difference between people in reality, which is people who achieve their ends voluntarily and people who achieve their ends violently. Yeah. Uh, well, once you see that, it's so clear, and you feel like you've been duped on every other aspect. You see the feminists hating men. Well, men are in charge, which is equally as stupid as saying English speakers are in charge. Yes, the people in charge happen to have that accidental characteristic, but that's not the defining characteristic. So to see people fighting over race and gender, it would be the equivalent of uh, in the Thirty Years' War, saying the, the principal differences between Protestantism and Catholicism. Of course, that is the smokescreen that the statists uh, put, put in front of us in order to distract us. From the reality that there's people who want to be free and act voluntarily and people who want to enslave others. 
Yeah, 100%, man. And that's, like, something that we focus on, too, a lot. It's, like, you can see just how well they uh, – the indoctrination, really, and the division. And that division is there on purpose. You know, they keep us divided, and they keep us fighting over so many dumb little things, all these little different characteristics about ourselves. And if they keep us fighting amongst ourselves, we'll never look up. And we're not looking at who is actually in charge and who's making the calls and who is, you know, controlling our lives. And, well, yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Tony. You make the point of how many days we're in school. Again, this indoctrination was prime to see all of these divisions between us, men, women, black, white, whatever it is. And no one ever points out and talks about force versus cooperation versus compulsion versus, you know, voluntarism. Well, and those teachers are getting paid through that force. And so <laughs> they're not ever going to bring it up, you know. And, True. Uh, yeah, exactly. And so, I mean, to me, like you were, like you were talking about how uh, – you are embarrassed or ashamed or whatever to have uh, ever have seen it through those lenses of like the bourgeoisie, the poor, the black, the white, whatever. And it's, that's why I absolutely love uh, Samuel Conkins, um, his, uh, his class theory, you know, that there's really only two classes. There's the plundered and then the plunderers and their cronies. And so, I mean, that to me is the best breakdown of, you know, that is the ultimate class theory. You know, there are the parasites and there are the producers. You know, they're the people that, you know, and, and just the normies. You know, just people that just want to get along and uh, live peacefully. Yeah, I think uh, Hans Hoppe does the best job in a book titled uh, Ethics and Economics of Private Property. There's a chapter titled Marxist versus Austrian Class Analysis. So the Marxist analysis of society is the there is an exploiter class and the exploited class. And he says, well, the Austrians, the libertarian anarcho-capitalists, actually would agree with that. There are exploiters and there are uh, an exploited demographic. So the question is, what determines what makes these groups, these groups in and of uh, the uh, of themselves. So Marx says uh, the exploiters are those who seek profit, those who engage in surplus value extraction. The problem with this is obviously anyone who knows anything about economics is, uh, yes, entrepreneurs seek profit. Other people who seek profit are consumers constantly trying to profit. Other people are employees who are trying to profit. Cost me a dollar in gasoline to get to work. I uh, earn a hundred dollars a day at my job, therefore I profit ninety nine dollars a day at work. And then I put some money aside and gain interest. I'm profiting off that interest. Well, certainly, if it's evil for me to offer someone a job at one, two, five, ten dollars an hour. It's worse if I offer no one a job and give no one a foot in the door. I give no one any job uh, on-the-job experience. That makes me worse than any exploiter who's offering people an apprenticeship like Nancy Pelosi, who yeah. who offers people $0 an hour to work for her, or even if you offer a dollar an hour. So the point is, is that it's not you, – you can't say that it's this Marxist progressive idea of 
seeking profit and generating revenue and uh, seeking money. That can't be the enemy in society. So what Hoppe says is that the Austrian view, uh, in order to identify the parasite, to do so, whether it's your local thief or the head of the military-industrial complex at Raytheon, it's whoever achieves their ends violently in the absence of uh, their productive capacity, in the absence of original appropriation or voluntary exchange. And once you see that, you see the actual divide. It's not rich versus poor. You can have a poor person who's a thief or a rich person who is a thief. And here is uh, – this is really where the difference lies because you, you can always turn people against each other with you know the, the, these differences of man versus woman. And well, a man would never have to do with that. And you so common even just the other day with this whole Alec Baldwin thing. It was terrible of Alec Baldwin to refer to her first as a wife and then as a co-worker as though her first duty is to her husband and second <laughs> is her – I mean, my god, can you think of anything more <laughs> trivial than this absolute nonsense? So when you come across uh, the works of you know people like Hans Hoppe or Tom Woods, uh, you, you not only uh, see things clearly – but you stop hating people based based on things that are totally arbitrary. I see feminists all the time that that just hate men and how there's a gender wage gap. I said, well, there's a race wage gap between whites and Asians. Should whites hate Asians because they have higher incomes or Nigerian Americans because Nigerian Americans on average have higher incomes? Or should young people hate old people because older people on average have higher incomes? You see this constant division. So this idea that, well, uh, Trump was dividing people, and what well, we need to come together. If you believe in any of that to any extent, you have to embrace anarcho-capitalism, or else you're embracing uh, the arbitrary division. And to, that's certainly something you wouldn't want if you're seeking equality and coexistence uh, between the genders and races. Yeah, it's really interesting that there's all these different ways to divide people, and it keeps on switching. And it's just a tactic to divide us. But instead of looking at these arbitrary traits that we're just born with, or whatever, like like if you're dividing people up on based upon whether or not you are using violence to achieve your means or to, yeah, like that's a real divide. Instead of being consistent, and that's the only divide that we see here. I'm getting an echo. You're getting an echo? You sound okay to me, Tony. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, man, that shit's fascinating. And it it just um, – the demonization, too, of like like you said, Glenn Beck was considered the most evil man. <laughs> you know, it's just uh, – it's funny how they pigeonhole someone that – I mean, I actually don't know too much about Glenn Beck, but I'm pretty sure he's not the most evil man in the world. Uh <laughs> Just, uh, you know, he's he's a statist of his own flavor, but, you know, m was embracing more freedom than, uh, yeah, I, it's just fascinating, man. It's just well, fascinating. Look at, uh, Beck had Michael Malice on his show the other day for an hour and That was and a fantastic conversation. And I loved I, it. I mean, could uh, well, can you imagine 
Rachel Maddow, Brian Stelter, Keith Olbermann, Don Lemon, having Michael Malice on to discuss anarchism. They, they weren't there talking about checkers and, oh, what is Biden going to say in his next uh, CNN town hall? It wasn't anything trivial. They they had some serious topics in that interview about the white pill, where power lies, the legitimacy of the police. He got Glenn Beck to say, if I don't have the right to do it, I don't have the right to grant an officer to do it on my behalf. He said something Dude, like that. Yes, it was you, fucking you, fantastic. You know what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, so I, I, I'm glad I didn't just imagine that because that made me so happy. I'm like, oh, my God, this is so cool that we can have this conversation. And then they ended it by – I think Bex uh, initiated it and said, well, uh, we, you'll have to come back and talk. And Malice said – Oh, I didn't get myself banned. Well, then this was a failure. Like, <laughs> like they were so happy to have this conversation with you know someone on our side of things. Yeah, that you never could have imagined this in the days of Mike Wallace and you know what Larry King or you know what yeah. uh, Dan Rather is uh, is the name. You could never imagine that. So uh, I'm definitely optimistic in the long run because people like us, you know, the, w at least we're not crazy. It's like you, you you still might disagree. You might think so-and-so eh, -so is wrong or that they go too far on this topic or that topic. But at least we're n really no longer seen generally as people that are so far out there unworthy of having a conversation with that has certainly changed, and that's why I am uh, much more white pilled than I was previously. You know what I find fascinating, man, is like um, I've had to I, I've realized that I've had to kind of, uh, you know, I'm walking down the street. I, I moved to like kind of more of a red type of area out here. I'm kind of in the boonies out here now, and uh, I have noticed that. I, it is hurt. It is hard to say. I have a preference now. If I see somebody with a fucking Joe Biden sign, and then I see someone with a fucking Trump sign, and like, I would rather the Trumpy guy be my neighbor. That's fucking shitty to say. <laughs> like, you know, because I mean, for the longest time, I've been a, you know, we're not left, we're not right, we're, you know, we're in the middle, and I, it's just, it's fascinating to me to see, and and maybe. Maybe it won't last, but conservatives have been fucking getting so much better. Like, I, it's been shocking. You know what I mean? Like, I'm like, I'm going through the grocery store and I see the one lady that doesn't have a mask on and we make eye contact and then we start a conversation. We start talking about fucking liberty and we start talking about, you know, self-ownership and being, you know, and. I, I, she's got an American flag on her fucking car and a Trump sign and this and that and the other. And it's, it's crazy to me to see the right actually embracing freedom again. Like they've always, you know, talk the talk, but they're actually like, another thing that I find like fantastic is like, I'm seeing, cause we're out here in Portland or I am now, Tony's fucking on the East coast now was, um, what I'm seeing now is like I'm seeing a lot of conservatives that are like uh, like policemen and firefighters 
and uh, teachers and um, what the hell was that other big group? Oh, there was a bunch of doctors and nurses that are just flying the American flags that are like hardcore patriots, but they're all for this medical freedom and there's this huge movement and they're all about like like self ownership and my body, my choice, and which is a fascinating thing. You never you never thought you'd hear someone from the right say that before, but you know it's um. I, I, I'm starting to get kind of hopeful that we're going to have maybe some conservative allies. Like, just listening to Glenn Beck, almost fucking get it. Almost fucking get it. It's, it was amazing. Oh, yeah. And someone like Michael Knowles, uh, even entertained Michael Malice. It's not that, you know, he came all the way over. The, the fact that they're willing to have this open conversation and consider it is such a great uh, move in uh, the, the right direction. Yeah. As far as right versus left, um, uh, I think as of now, it's probably the right, maybe just because they're not in power, as far uh-huh. as, you know, the left controlling Hollywood uh, universities, K through 12, uh, m- most um, media outlets. Maybe it's just temporary, but uh, as far as um, being anti-egalitarian, so the idea that um, all inequalities are the result of discrimination, discrimination is bad, therefore the state should step in, that is a totally left-wing idea, and that's why the right's probably closer to us than the left is. As far as uh, the idea of positive rights, the concept that you have a right to Healthcare, a television, clothing, housing implies that those things must first exist, and before that, they must be provided by someone's labor. So if I have a right to the product, I therefore have a right to the labor. So anyone who doesn't believe in positive rights is much more of an ally than someone who believes uh, – I'm sorry, well, well – what did I say? Someone who doesn't believe in positive rights is less likely to be an ally than someone who believes in negative rights. In other words, everything you have is a blessing, and you're only entitled to that which you either acquire through original appropriation or voluntary exchange. Either way, these people are much happier and much more enjoyable to be around. And then the third thing you probably want to look for is the concept of the constrained vision. This is the idea that um, – Humans have a fallen aspect to them. Therefore, what we need to accept is that they are self-interested, and what we need to look for is a system which benefits self-interested people. People with the unconstrained vision, as Thomas Sowell says in his book, The Conflict of Visions, is people who focus on the results. So they'll say, we should all have health care, and uh, therefore the state should monopolize health care and redistribute it accordingly. Where someone with the uncons- uh, with the constrained vision would say, yeah, well, we all want people to have houses and health care. Therefore, which system uh, should we embrace that would increase the likelihood that we would have access to health care and all of these other things? Uh, uh, probably a better example is corruption will exist, whereas the unconstrained vision would say we need to abolish corruption. The constrained mindset would say corruption exists under which system can we best counteract the corruption that exists within all humans and the obvious answer is anarcho-capitalism where you have the ability to disassociate with bad actors so those three things are why i currently think that people like us would align better with uh trumpers or 
and caps. But then again, maybe I'm totally wrong about that conclusion. Either way, yeah. I think those three pillars are still vitally uh, important uh, for us to uh, keep a uh, lookout for. I also think there's a relationship to reality that's happening around conservatives that a lot of liberals, not all, but a lot of them have kind of divested from any kind of reality. And that goes together with the constrained versus unconstrained vision of how things work, where you have this utopian view and you're not looking at how to actually do that. And I do think there is a lot of, I don't want to say like mental illness, but it feels like there's a lot of neurotic, neurotic behaviors that, you know, it exists. I mean, there's definitely like a certain amount of Biden derangement syndrome, but it didn't go nearly as much as like Trump derangement. Yeah, I mean, it's it's almost hard to pick on Joe Biden because it's too easy. I mean, I actually feel bad. I'm like, he's not there. He's not actually in charge. Like, we're we're sitting there and we can, I mean, we can talk all day about how he's a bad president and his ideas are bad, but I don't even think they're his ideas at this point. I, it's like, it, it is weekend at Bernie's, Bernie's, rather, and we're looking at, like, an inanimate corpse that's up there that they're, you know, I mean, I think they're probably filling him up with like baby's blood or something to keep him alive and standing up there. But um, yeah, it's, it's hard to have the same type of hatred towards Joe Biden, the creepy grandpa that wants to sniff your kids um, as orange man, bad, I guess, you know? Um, But what I find fascinating too, is this, have have you thought about this at all? Uh, What are your thoughts on someone like, um, uh, on DeSantis, what are your thoughts on? Uh, gosh darn it, I'm gonna forget the guy. Who's the guy in Texas? Greg Abbott. Greg Abbott. Like, so he just passed. Um, so I, I've heard libertarians arguing over this, right? Where uh, Greg Abbott just passed a thing that he said private businesses cannot um, do the vaccine passport things, and so they're saying that that is a violation of property rights. Right. And it is theoretic. I mean, it absolutely is a violation of property rights. But those same people that will make that argument are the same people that think that like uh, uh, they're the same people that would uh, uh, that would talk about like, I don't know, this sounds fucked, but like the civil rights agreement or the civil rights movement, the same people that would uh, that, that like in no way are they ever going to talk about um, uh Man, it's late at night. I'm sorry, my brain's not firing. Uh, they're they're never going to talk about the um uh what do you talk what do you call that when uh, uh, <laughs> uh people that want to interact with each other on a voluntary discrimination. basis discrimination yeah discrimination but there's a there's a a word that I was looking for that I can't think of so um. Anyways, it's it's in there somewhere. Uh, wh- what are your thoughts on on Abbott doing something like that? Because technically, I fucking agree with him, and I think it's great. Like, I want businesses not to be able to, you know, discriminate against me because I won't get a jab. Um, but that is a violation of property rights, and so technically, philosophically, uh, that is a violation of my principles. So it definitely is a uh, violation of uh, contract uh, agreement. If I want to hang out with, uh, you know, uh, only whites or only women or only women who will compliment me, that's certainly my right to do so in my house. Well, what if I start selling things out of my house and now it's a business? Well, the morality certainly hasn't changed. So, uh, yes, uh, Abbott and DeSantis are vi- are in violation 
of uh, private property rights and agreements, and it's uh, totally anti-libertarian. Uh, However, However. In, in this crusade against uh, our enemies here, what we have to use is minimal necessary force in order to start getting them over to our side, which is the correct side. So an example I would use is saying that uh, there is a serial killer in your uh, area, and he's running from your voluntarily funded private security agency that doesn't have any more rights than anyone else. It's just people uh, allocating uh, security in, uh, in a certain manner to provide it collectively. And he goes into the house of someone who's uh, who's on vacation. Now, would this security agency have the right to drop five nukes in the city in order to kill him and a million other people, but at least they get this serial killer? Well, uh, certainly not. Uh, that would be a disproportionate response to the aggressor. However, would they be justified in breaking the window of whoever's house that is in order to get this person? Well, I certainly think so. Uh, the difference between both of these examples, they both consist of initiating aggression or uninvited physical interference into the property of someone else. The difference is uh, one uh, consists of minimal necessary force to respond to an aggressor. When we are talking about um, anti-vax mandates, something like you know Abbott and DeSantis have done, we have to start considering at what point – are we going to use minimal necessary force to explain to these slavery advocates that this tool you think is so fun to use against us called the state is no longer going to be something that's going to be real fun for you. In fact, we're going to start using it to our advantage. I don't want to use it to start nuking people. Of course not. I want to use the smallest amount possible to get the point across that this is totally unjustified. Now, there's a totally separate question of whether it's in our uh, economic interest. As Hazlitt would say, look not only at the immediate group affected and the short-term effects, but at all groups affected and long-term effects. So is it going to decrease the likelihood that people will secede and voluntarily disassociate with socialists of the world and then associate with more freedom-oriented people? Increasing the likelihood we'll have a freedom-oriented society on a much smaller scale away from the socialists of society. That's another possibility. So it's possible that even if we don't uh, advocate any uh, anti-vax private business mandates, it might not even be best for us in uh, the, the short run or the long run. It might feel good to gain a victory over uh, the, the mandatory vax people. But it also couldn't be in our interest in the long run. The point is, is we, I, I don't think it's uh, in our interest to totally rule out ever using the state a little bit just to push back. I mean if you think it's okay for a cop to shoot a rapist in the act of raping, well, certainly he's going to refill his gun with bullets, and that's going to be at the expense of the taxpayer, which violates the non-aggression principle. Sure, and we need to stand tall and say that that's totally unjustified. However, we are in a process of getting to a a, a greater goal, which here is um, you know a the society that recognizes the uh, principles of self ownership. 
So, of course, you know, it sounds like every tyrant ever. Well, I'm just doing this temporarily, and I wish I didn't have to. But the, the reality is, you know, anyone who thinks it's okay to, you know, uh, to steal one loaf of bread to feed a million starving children, well, a, at some point, it's okay to use uh, a, a small microscopic amount of aggression against the worst aggressors on planet Earth. And a, a, anyone who just uh, d disagrees with that in principle is just not living in reality. It's it's the equivalent of saying I won't step on this person's lawn even though the serial killer is on that portion of the lawn because I'd violate the private property rights of the lawn owner. It's too ridiculous to consider. So, yeah, we, we can't just be waving the white flag to uh, the tyrants. I love that. I think that's really important. And I, I actually think that's why there's this whole uh, – the post-libertarian movement. Um, it, there's a lot of these guys that are just saying like the non-aggression principle in a lot of ways is holding us back and we will literally just uh, – like you said, wave the white flag and let people just run all over us if we're not – willing to at least violate I, I don't like it sounds shitty to say violate our principles but it's like are you going to you know I, are you going to live in that ancapistan in your head and then just jump on the fucking on the train when it you know when you're supposed to you know like and so i know that me and tony have talked about this before this idea and i my, obviously my listeners are gonna yell at me because i've mentioned this a million times but like um I I think about things like this. Like, um, I, have you watched um, Wild Wild Country? Have you seen that documentary on Netflix? No. So there is this guy who was he was obviously not a great guy. He's a fucking cult leader. His name was Osho, and he was uh, the leader of a cult called the Rajneesh Nish. And that was out here in Oregon. He was from India, and he moved out to rural Oregon. And his little group basically took over this like little unaccount like this little tiny part of Oregon and just started like uh like okay well now we're gonna make this a town and I'm gonna be the mayor and you're gonna be this you're gonna be that you know and just kind of took over a town and was it it was the people that were fighting back were like the cattle the cattle farmers and the people that lived there and they, they didn't like what these guys were doing. And probably a little bit of it was racism. And these guys were kind of weird and wild. And this was in the eighties. So I'm sure there was a little free love and sex and, you know, they weren't, you know, they were uh, weird looking to, to the cattle ranchers and stuff out there. And I don't know, honestly, what they would have done with, you know, with their power. But I think that like, libertarians need to start thinking about things like that. I mean, that's, that really is like the Hoppe strategy, right? Like what must be done, like just on a small local level. Um, is it going to violate some voluntary, voluntarious principles to take over a little tiny town and then kind of try to have as much freedom in it as you can? Yeah. But I think that maybe that's what we need to be doing, like pursuing that strategy and what what are your thoughts on any of that yeah you know that there's always sometimes you can you know kill a small ant in order to save a large civilization so finding those equilibriums is uh, always difficult 
the thing that would make us different and make us not as bad as the people we are uh, in opposition to is simply our ability to recognize a uh, proportionate uh, response and also not to mention uh, the concept of restitution to uh, to, to aggressors. So uh, status would never even think of, well, this initiates aggression, therefore we uh, sh shouldn't do it, and therefore this person is already benefiting, so we don't owe them restitution. Sometimes you would owe restitution to the people. You have to aggress against a little bit. David Friedman's example is there's a gun over here, and I don't know who it belongs to, and there's a murderer over there, and uh, I, I want to steal the bullets in this gun to stop this murderer. Well, do I have to wait until the owner of the gun comes? No. I'm going to take the gun, shoot, and then uh, shoot the murderer, stop the murder from occurring because it's such a greater act of aggression than me stealing the bullet. I'll replace the bullet. I'll make the owner whole, yada, yada, yada. Everything will be uh, t taken care of. So uh, uh, us being so timid about microscopic initiations of uh, uh, of aggression. I mean, any time you technically, you know, use the scarce resources of the state that you know will be replaced by tax-funded resources, you're uh, engaged in a NAP violation. It doesn't mean we should throw away our principles. It means we need to make sure we remember why we're here in the first place and to uh, use so much discretion in violation of these, uh, you know, principles or uh, in violation of, uh, you know, whatever goal we're, uh, we're trying to achieve. Because at some point, it's, uh, it's worth stealing the bullet to stop the serial killer. So, I, I mean, there's just no official, there's just no official answer. At what point is someone starving? And at what point is there uh, in a, a sufficient amount of bread for them to steal in order for them to stop starving. Define starving. Uh, when they've stopped looking for a job because they can't find any, well, what, uh, what what does it mean to not be able to find any? How many hours have they spent searching for a job to get an income to buy bread? All, those are so complex. It, it's much better for us to say that we have this goal in mind, and here are our principles. Sometimes you have to violate these principles. You have to be the person you don't want to be so you can be the person you want to be in opposition to uh, to, to your aggressors. And that, that doesn't make any of it okay. And I, I guess the main factor would be the fact that we recognize that it is still a wrongdoing and we would owe restitution. Too. We break into the house to, uh, you know, stop the serial killer. We owe that person restitution. The status would not. That could be our defining corrective mechanism that still makes us different than uh, the, than the uh, status who recognizes no such thing. So what I find fascinating, too, now, I mean, where I see the world, like where we're at right now, it, it's pretty fucking easy to get blackpilled. Um, when you're looking at the government and breathing down our neck, you're seeing them get more and more totalitarian. You're seeing them starting to crack down on, uh, well, the whole Vax passport thing is terrifying as far as like, I mean, out here where I'm at, like, my wife got fired um, for, from her job because she wouldn't get a job. Uh, that's starting to go because she, uh, anyways, um, so there is this whole question. It's like, 
where, like, what do we do now? Like, what way, libertarian man? And so I see um, the post-libertarians, they're trying to find, I mean, they're pursuing, like, kind of Papa's strategy, and I say good luck, and I like it, and I, I've got some friends in that in that, uh, in that that junction. And then you see the Mises Caucus guys, I don't know exactly what their goal is besides just maybe outreach and education and trying to get more libertarians, but I don't necessarily see that getting more liberty. Unfortunately, like I see that maybe that strategy would have been better five years ago or at least before 2020, um, where I think the whole fucking game, the whole board got flipped over and uh, like the state is basically taken off their mask. Right. And they're just fully just going full tyrannical now, which is crazy. And then I see the agorists, and that's typically the direction I go where I'm trying to make, like, small communities with people, uh, trying to get to know my neighbors well, trying to trying to barter, trying to get off the dollar. I'm, I'm trying to, like, we're raising food here. We're, we're having gardens going. We're trying to be more self-sufficient. We're trying to trade amongst ourselves and whatever that is. Um, what are you – what do you think – the best strategy is and or like what are your thoughts on any of this you know i'm still a uh, misessian in the uh uh concept that the division of labor is of vital importance so it's not that we need the agorists to stop doing agorism and do the best thing for liberty which we think uh is the best thing at the moment well it's not that you would take someone out of where they specialize and then they'll be great in this other area. They might, in opposition to do uh, not doing what they specialize in, do nothing or do something un-libertarian related. So it's probably best that the agorists uh, engage in their thing and see what, uh, what what comes of that, the Bitcoiners and the 3D printers and whatnot. Yeah. And they're able to trade and exchange ideas with the people in the GOP Mises Caucus who are able to exchange ideas and methods with people in the LP Mises Caucus who you know talk and influence people in the uh, the Hans Hoppe's what must be done uh, portion of uh, his uh, his strategy where you influence local elections uh, privatize everything turn net taxpayers into stockholders allow people to share their stock and uh, what we, you long story short have a uh, you know private law society. Uh, it, for me to pick one of those over the others is to not recognize the value in the division of labor. Um, I, I don't know which one is the best, and I don't know which one is going to increase the number of people in separate fields. So, for example, uh, it's not necessarily accurate to call Dave Smith a member of the GOP or a member of uh, the GOP Mises Caucus, nor is it accurate to call him an agorist. However, he's uh, influenced more of those people than I probably ever will. So for me to say Dave Smith should have been an agorist this entire time is completely ridiculous because he's good at spreading the message. Sal the agorist is great at distributing 3D printers. Uh, you, you know, uh, people like uh, Andrew from Popular Liberty are great at uh, explaining the importance of Hans Hoppe's uh, what must uh, be done strategy. Uh, people like uh, Jeremy Kaufman are great at uh, explaining the value of New Hampshire's Free State Project and uh, what you could call anarcho-Zionism, uh, geographically getting uh, people uh, who are freedom-oriented concentrated in a geographical area. I, I mean, 
that's this isn't me trying to weasel out of the question and you know yeah. not take a side. I literally don't know what is best. I see, you know, I certainly have my role and, you know, to my role is anything that I put out on the Libertarian Institute is me thinking what my best contribution of that day could uh, could possibly be. I really I'm not confident enough to say I know therefore we should all allocate our resources in uh, in such a way. Yeah, I feel that. And I think I think that's a fair answer. And I think actually we need more unity amongst ourselves and our fellow brethren, you know, I mean, because we're like 98 percent all aligned and then we all just kind of disagree with strategy, you know, and I think if we actually work together more and encouraged each other more, uh, I like the different strategies that everybody's doing. The, the, I know that there's like, there's these little divisions amongst ourselves and things. And, uh, I try to talk to everybody. Like, uh, we're going to have Andrew on pretty soon. I'm, I'm fascinated to talk to him. Uh, we're going to have Sal on next week. Uh, we'll have Sal on again, actually. Um, like, I, I love all of these guys are definitely pursuing the same goal and we're all just kind of doing it in a different way. Yeah, it's, yeah, I think it's fantastic. More decentralization in general, like the decentralization of strategy for, especially considering exactly what's happening to us with vaccine passports and people getting fired and sorry about your wife, man. That's yeah, it sucks. It's it's all good, man. Like we just we we just had a baby. Our baby's three weeks old Monday. So it, this is whatever, man. She she wanted to stay home with the. With the baby more, so now this is just pushing our hand, so. You know, and I'm just going to have to, you know, I, I still have a full-time job for the time being, <laughs> you know, until, you know, until whatever. <laughs> it sucks out here, man. So, I mean, I, I don't know. I might be moving to fucking Texas. I might be moving to Florida. I'm looking at Idaho, you know, if uh, if that comes around the way, I might have to sell my house and go, but, you know. Yeah, man. Well, Keith, uh, I loved having you on, man. You're you're a fucking brilliant dude. And uh, uh, is there anything else you want to plug? Anything else you want to talk about? My main things are uh, asking people to sub to me on Odyssey.com Odyssey. in case of a uh, takedown. Great site, uh, Jeremy. Kauf it's uh, powered by Library uh, Jeremy Kaufman's organization. Jeremy is one of us. Free State Project um, is uh, well as I'd uh, like people to check out the Libertarian Institute. It's me, Scott Horton, Pete Quinones, Sheldon Richmond, uh, Kyle Anzalone, Patrick McFarland, Thomas Salmons. We got tons of material on there that could uh, keep you busy forever. So those are the two: Odyssey.com and the Libertarian Institute. That's awesome, man. And uh, I actually want to talk to you. What is the show you do about propaganda? You do a little thing about you do uh, you do episodes sometimes on propaganda. Yeah, this is just a playlist that I have on Odyssey and YouTube called Propaganda Analysis. So it, uh, gosh, I forget how it started, but um, yeah, I just have a number of uh, videos dedicated to analyzing uh, the propaganda in. Books, articles, um, you know, uh, uh, any uh, corporate press narrative that is trying to be uh, pr pr 
progressed. And there's so much overlap with even the average video that uh, the, that I do. I have one, you know, the other day on uh, the concept of predatory pricing and monopoly. That is an entire propaganda uh, me- method in and uh, uh, of itself. The concept that we need to be terrified of a monopoly that might exist as a cause or result of voluntary exchanges. Meanwhile, the state monopolizes the currency, monopolizes compulsory education. I mean, so so it's almost everything I do is analyzing the propaganda of the cathedral. But uh, yeah, propaganda analysis is a uh, certain playlist that I have both on Odyssey and YouTube that you can find. That's awesome, man. I definitely need to check that out. Um, and I'm sorry about YouTube and your two strikes. Uh, that, there's a reason why we never fucking started a YouTube because we talk about anything and everything on our stupid show. And I, I figured I'm, we would just be wasting our time. So <laughs> eventually we'd get kicked off. So good call. Well, it was awesome having you on, man. Thank you so much. And we'll have to have you back on, especially when you, uh, I, I want to hear more about this book in a few months. And uh, that's awesome, brother. Months. It might be a year, but I'll be happy <laughs> okay. to come on. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, brother. All right. All right. Yeah.